This is the series, The First Letter to Timothy. This is part 12, Caring for the Church Family. We'll read the first 16 verses of 1 Timothy 5. My sources include Philip Graham Ryken's book on 1 Timothy from the Reformed Expository Commentary, Michael Bentley's book on Timothy, Passing on the Truth from the Wellwind Commentary Series, William Hendrickson's, the late William Hendrickson's New Testament Commentary, which is also in our library, Stephen J. Cole, his studies in Timothy, and then Al Moeller, who is the president of Southern Seminary in Louisville, Kentucky, on how should we then live 40 years later. The Word of God from 1 Timothy 5, this is the Word of God. Do not rebuke an older man harshly, but exhort him as if he were your father. Treat younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, and younger women as sisters with absolute purity. Give proper recognition to those widows who are really in need. But if a widow has children or grandchildren, these should learn, first of all, to put their religion into practice by caring for their own family and so repaying their parents and grandparents, for this is pleasing to God. The widow who is really in need and left all alone puts her hope in God and continues night and day to pray and to ask God for help. But the widow who lives for pleasure is dead even while she lives. Give the people these instructions so that no one may be open to blame. Anyone who does not provide for their relatives and especially for their own household has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. No widow may be put on the list, and this is where there was a list of widows at this time that they took care of. No widow may be put on the list of widows unless she is over 60, has been faithful to her husband, and is well known for her good deeds, such as bringing up children, showing hospitality, washing the feet of the Lord's people, helping those in trouble, and devoting herself to all kinds of good deeds. As for younger widows, do not put them on such a list, for when their sensual desires overcome their dedication to Christ, they want to marry. Thus they bring judgment on themselves because they have broken their first pledge. Besides, they get into the habit of being idle and going about from house to house. And not only do they become idlers, but also busybodies who talk nonsense, saying things they ought not to. So I counsel younger widows to marry, to have children, to manage their homes, and to give the enemy no opportunity for slander. Some have, in fact, already turned away to follow Satan. If any woman who is a believer has widows in her care, she should continue to help them and not let the church be burdened with them so that the church can help those widows who are really in need. The grass withers, the flowers fall, but the word of our God stands forever. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this, your word. And we pray that you would help us, Lord, as this is a difficult passage. I pray that you would bless the widows and the widowers in our church today. Let them sense your love for them. Let them sense our love and care for them. And forgive us where we failed you, Lord. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. Please be seated. Many people today, maybe even some of you, are thinking... I really didn't come here to hear about widows. 
Well, the basic fact is the Apostle Paul devoted 14 verses, 14 verses to this letter, to this topic. He did that to say to us, this is important stuff. Here's an interesting statistic. By 2035, there will be 78 million people 65 years of age and older, compared to 76.7 million people under the age of 18. The greatest increase now and in the next decade is in the over 75 group, which is more in need of physical and financial care. One half of women over the age of 65 had lost their spouses, and two-thirds of those over the age of 75. Four times as many widows are alive as widowers. The 2030s, which really aren't that far away, are projected to be a transformative decade for the U.S. population. You know what? If none of this means anything to you, then ponder this. There's a good chance that one day, one day you too will be an older person. I lost three friends this past week. I say three friends, I should say I lost two colleagues and one friend. I pulled out this book this morning. It's a book by Dick Little. Dick Little was the moderator of the General Assembly of the Evangelical Presbyterian Church about 15, 20 years ago. His book was entitled, Kiss Your Church. Dick Little was the sweetest man. He says, Tourette, how beautiful is the body of Christ. Dick L., 2008. Dick died after suffering several years with Alzheimer's. Bob Finn was on staff with me at Central Presbyterian Church. Bob Finn was a, a legend at Central Presbyterian Church. He led hundreds of people to Christ in his time there and impacted those who went on to impact others for Christ. Bob was the director of evangelism for the seven years that I was on staff at Central Presbyterian, and Bob Finn just died. We used to have a saying, Bob Finn loves you and has a plan for your life. If you've ever heard of uh, the four spiritual laws, that makes sense to you. And then the last one was my friend Ray Hayes. On February the 24th, I was preaching about what elders are supposed to do, and I mentioned what an elder had done for me. And Ray had been my friend and my, my elder and my counselor and, and my, my support at a time where I really wasn't seeking that, but he sought me out. And I'm so grateful to God that he did. Ray was such a, a runner. Chip, you would have loved him. He ran, I think, 45 marathons. And they put his sneakers on his casket yesterday at his funeral, which Don and I got to watch live streaming yesterday from St. Louis, Missouri. Ray and his wife, Sharon, who is now a widow, Ray came down with Lewy body dementia. If you don't know, that's a very difficult, difficult disease. And so Ray went to be with the Lord this past week. 
And so losing friends like that brings to reality the fact that life is short. Life is short. And I, I, I think we don't believe that. You know, Mark and Becky sang that beautiful song by Casting Crowns. I am a flower quickly fading. Do you believe that about yourself? I believe that. I used not to believe that. I used to believe that, oh, you got so much time. But as someone has said, the, the days are long, but the years are short. They really are. So you should number your days and treasure the days that God has given you, especially if you're here today and you're healthy. Give thanks to God for that. Because we all are flowers, quickly fading. Three lessons today. Let's try to unpack this, this passage if we can. And the first lesson is this. We should care about all those in the family of God. We should care about all of those in the family of God. You know, I, I say this quickly to say, I moved here from a very young church. We had one member over 70. And she kind of stood out because she was our really our only senior adult. And so I remember we were trying to secure young people. And we were doing a great job of that. But you know what my wife and I started talking about is we were missing something. We were missing the wisdom of the older years. We were missing our children growing up seeing senior adults in the church and being encouraged and loved by them. I didn't realize at the time what... We were missing, but we were missing something very, very important. Scripture is very clear when it says that you and I, as followers of Jesus Christ, are to find our primary identity in Jesus Christ. John 1.12 says, to all who received him, to all who received Christ, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to be called children of God. So once you receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you are in a new family and it's called the family of God. We belong to the same family. In baby Greek, one of the first words I learned in Greek was adelphos, which means brother. And that root word of adelphos actually means from the same womb. It's such a beautiful picture of the body of Christ. Because we are from all the same womb. We are from Jesus, God himself. So the church of Jesus Christ is a family. All believers have the same father. Jesus taught us to pray our father as we prayed this morning. Who art in heaven? Our father. So why is God our father? Because in Christ we've been adopted into the family of God. Ephesians 1 verse 5 says, He predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with His pleasure and will. So, since God has made us His sons and daughters through Christ, the church is the Christian's first family. And I know blood is thicker than water, but the Holy Spirit is thicker than blood. Which means your spiritual family is really... More important than your own family. And I know that's really, really hard for us in the Deep South to comprehend that. Turn with me to the Gospel according to St. Mark. Mark chapter 3. Mark chapter 3, verses 31 
through 35. It says, then Jesus' mother and brothers arrived. Standing outside, they sent someone in to call him. A crowd was sitting around him, and they told him, your, your mother and your brothers are outside looking for you. He asked, who are my mother and my brothers? Then he looked at those seated in a circle around him and said, here are my mother and my brothers. Whoever does God's will is my brother and sister and mother. And yet, don't think that Jesus didn't care about his mother, because we know from the cross that he cared about his mother so much that he, as he was dying on the cross, spoke to John and said, Behold your mother. In other words, John, take care of my mother, because I'm not going to be able to do that any longer. Please. So when Paul was writing to Timothy, he reminds in the first two verses, Treat older men, and this is in your outline if you're following, Treat older men in the church as if they were your father. Be respectful. Treat younger men as if they were your little brothers. Look out for them, which is what Ray was doing for me. Treat older women as mothers. And I'm grateful to have a number of moms in this church. I'm looking at you, Brenda. I'm thankful to have big sisters, really, but who mother me. In a way that is so wonderful. And then treat younger women, he says, as sisters with absolute purity. Never had a sister. But I've got a lot of sisters. Because of the body of Christ. Don't you see what Paul is saying? Those who are older and more mature should look out for those who are younger and weaker. A family should be characterized by love, care, concern for each other's welfare. And he said the same thing in the, the letter to Titus, which is one of the pastoral epistles. So you got first, second Timothy and Titus. They're kind of a group in the Bible. And then in Philippians 2, he says this. Look out for one another. Look out for one another. Don't be taken in by selfishness and vain conceit, but in humility, consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look out. Not just for your own needs, but for the needs of other people. And that's what the body of Christ has to do. We should care about all of those in the body of Christ. Second lesson. We should care for our own family, especially widows in need. Especially widows in need. You know, the advancements of medical technology, along with the aging in America... The concept of quality of life has kind of replaced the concept of sanctity of life. Not surprisingly, the practice of euthanasia is a topic of increasing interest and concern. And by the way, young people, for those of you that just missed that, I'm not talking about the youth who live in Asia. Years ago, I was one day decrying the influence of Dr. Jack Kevorkian with my mother. Dr. Kevorkian was the one who made assisted suicide popular in the last century, in the last part of the last century. And Dr. Kevorkian was known to many as simply Dr. Death. And so I was talking to my mom about this, and I was making a strong point of how I did not respect him and what he was doing. And my mom says, well, you wait until you get a little bit older before you start making those pronouncements. And I understood as I watched my mom age 
and get to that very difficult point of life where she was in her latter stages. Life is hard, and it gets really hard once you're close to death. Without question, there are times when death can and should be viewed as a merciful thing. Yet, I have to caution each of us of the increasing impact of the secularization of our society, which can make us view those in advancing years as a burden to society or even as a burden to ourselves. How many of you are caring for someone in their elderly years and know exactly what I'm talking about? How many of you cared for an aging parent or grandparent and have felt even a twinge of this person is a little bit of a burden to me? You wouldn't be normal if you didn't at some point feel a little annoyed with the time that it takes to care for someone who is sick. And yet at the same time, you better be very careful with that because that's an attitude that's very prevalent in this society. The first time I graduated from Covenant Theological Seminary in St. Louis, the late, great Francis Schaeffer was the speaker at my baccalaureate. If you don't know that name, he was a tremendous theologian, and really he was a modern-day prophet who was way ahead of his time. He was ill at the time, and not as portly as I remember him being in the pictures when he showed up. He spoke about something that day more directed to preachers as he spoke from 2 Corinthians chapter 2. But less than five years before, he had made his impact in my life. And so as he stood up there preaching, I was just in awe of this man because he was a hero to me. He impacted me when I watched and read his book and his video series entitled How Should We Then Live? which came out in 1976, and I showed the film series to my youth group. It was a little above them, but they quickly picked up on what he was talking about. Al Mohler, as I mentioned in my sources, president of Southern Seminary, he put it well when he said this about Francis Schaeffer. Quote, he famously dressed as if he'd come down from the Swiss mountains in a previous century. In fact, when he spoke that day, when Dr. Schaeffer spoke that day at Covenant, it was the first time I'd ever seen him in a suit. His ministry was in the Swiss mountains, and it was called Labrie Fellowship. The Schaefers were, were taking in lots of long-haired, intellectually agitated young people, engaging their minds and interpreting their culture. Schaefer was prophetic in criticizing the Christian church for a legacy of racism and the abuse of economic abundance. He was also right when he said that the Roe v. Wade decision which legalized abortion, the Roe v. Wade decision which legalized abortion marked a seismic shift in the culture and he warned us that bigger shocks were yet to come. So when I watched the film series, it was the first time I'd ever heard the term euthanasia as something to expect to see in our own day and time. This is in the mid-70s. In case you don't know the term, euthanasia is, according to the definition, the painless killing of a patient suffering from an incurable disease. He began the series by saying these words, and I hope you'll remember these words. There is a flow to history and culture. There is a flow 
to history and culture. And he went on to say, you'd better know which way the culture is flowing. And I will tell you, as we prepare to vote next week on the resolution that's in your bulletin, that's a lot of the reason why this resolution is being put before you by the session, because of the winds that are blowing in our culture. You know, you don't have to go very far back to, to find some things that are just completely disturbing. I don't know if any of you remember Governor Richard Lamb. Governor Richard Lamb served three terms in Colorado in the late 70s and the 80s. As governor, Richard Lamb said this at one point in a press conference. Terminally ill elderly people have a duty to die and get out of the way. Now, that was really a disturbing comment that caused him a lot of trouble. Why would he say something like that? Because he wanted room in his budget for something besides taking care of the elderly. He wanted to use the resources for younger people and other things. Psalm 116, verse 15 says, Precious, precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. And you will note in Scripture, in the Old Testament, when someone died, it was a major event. It was not just glossed over. It was very, very important. So regardless of what our society feels about our aging population, the Bible has a great deal to say about respecting and caring for those who are older people. Specifically, God cares about widows and orphans. Have you noticed that throughout the Old Testament into the New Testament? Is there a better example of a ministry to orphans than the ministry we support in Honduras, the Micah Project, which takes orphans off the street and gives them hope and a future And Psalm 68 verse 5 says that our God is a father to the fatherless, a defender of widows. And in Deuteronomy 10 verse 18 it says, The Lord your God executes justice for the fatherless and the widow. And so the focus of the text today is the widow. Think about the times that God took care of widows. God fed Ruth. During the barley harvest in Ruth 1 verse 4, God spared the widow of Zarephath in the days of Elijah in 1 Kings 17. God provided an abundance of oil for a widow through Elisha's ministry in 2 Kings chapter 4. And in the New Testament, it was the provision for widows that led to the appointment of deacons in the first place. So God has every right to be called the protector of widows. And as you know, there are needy widows in every church. Which is why Paul says to Timothy, give proper recognition to those widows who are really in need. In other words, widows who are all alone need the special attention that comes from the church. What about the others? Well, Paul's point is that they have their families to take care of them. Children owe their mothers a great deal. And we don't think about that when we're young because we're busy and have so much to do, right? Did you notice that Paul said that grandparents are to be cared for as well? First Timothy 5, 4. But if a widow has children or grandchildren, these should learn, first of all, to put their religion into practice by caring for their own family and so repaying their parents and their grandparents. To make his point, Paul also underscores the importance of caring for those in your own family when he says this in 1 Timothy verse 8, verse, chapter 5, verse 8. Anyone who does not provide for their relatives... And especially for their own household has what? Denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Strong words. Paul is teaching extremely direct when he says to the Thessalonians, even when we were with you, we gave you this rule. 
The one who is unwilling to work shall not eat. This is not saying if you're unemployed or on disability, we shouldn't care about you. It's not saying that at all. He's saying the church coffers are not a bottomless pit, and the church should not be helping those who have the ability to help themselves. So we should care about all those in the family of God. We should care about our own family, especially especially widows who are in need. And then the third and final lesson is we should care for true widows and show them honor. You ever heard of a dowry? A dowry? Dr. Bruce Winter explains that the dowry always accompanied a woman in her marriage. It was actually a very important legal consideration in marriage. So in the event of a husband's death, there were laws that protected her by the person who was placed in charge of that dowry. The legal provision gave a widow financial security. When she had no dowry... And no family to care for her. That's where the church came in. So Paul explains how a widow physically qualifies for support. She must be destitute. He also mentions a spiritual qualification. She must be faithful. Paul says the genuine widow does not trust in the government for her welfare. Or even in the church. She trusts the Lord. She trusts the Lord. In addition, she's not overwhelmed by her circumstances. Like the psalmist, she puts all of her hope in the Lord her God. She throws herself on his mercy and finds she is not alone because he is with her. Psalm 146 says, blessed are those whose hope is in their God. And then Paul adds, she continues night and day to pray and to ask God for help. It reminds me of of Anna, the one that saw the baby Jesus. And Anna, it says, was married for seven years. And then it says she was a widow for 84 years. I actually think she lived to 84, but was a widow until 84 after being married for seven years. And so Luke says this about her. And then she is the opposite of who Paul is addressing in verse 6, where he says, The widow who lives for pleasure is dead even while she lives. What a strong indictment. It's meant for the merry widow who has no interest in prayer or doing the things of God. She takes comfort in the things of this world. She pampers herself and is not alive to God through faith. It's another paradox that we see in Scripture, particularly in the words of Jesus. So Paul also rebukes some young widows, which he says don't deserve honor at all. He accuses them of two deadly sins. What were those two deadly sins? Laziness and gossip. Verse 13, they get into the habit of being idle and going from house to house. And not only do they become idlers, but busybodies who talk nonsense, saying things they ought not to. The idleness or laziness often leads to other sins. And in Ephesus, where churches met in different homes, these women, as they made their way from house to house, heard all kinds of interesting news about people, and they passed it along. Paul's counsel to them was, get married again. His point wasn't that marriage was going to be an end-all solution, but if you get married and have children, you'll be so busy running a household, you won't have time to be a lazy gossiper. Okay? So finally, Paul makes it clear that there are those who don't just need personal respect and emotional support. They need financial support. So who's responsible for the financial care of widows? And which widows qualify for this kind of support? From what our text points out, the local church was taking care of some widows when their own family was not, which is the way it should be. The Bible says in verse 4, it pleases God when children 
and grandchildren make some return to their parents. I would say it's extremely judgmental to say that every family must take elderly parents into their own homes. There are situations where that simply is not a viable option. But even if an elderly parent must be put in a nursing facility, the children and the grandchildren should not abandon them. I've seen the people in our church at nursing homes when I visited, but I've also visited and walked by rooms where you just never see anybody there because they're easily forgotten. Even when their minds no longer function, they still deserve our care, our love, and our respect. Why? Because we honor God when we honor our parents. We honor God when we honor those who are older than us. That brings us to our verse of the week, which is James 1, 27. Let's read it out loud together. In your bulletin, beneath the outline, religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. If you've embraced Jesus Christ as your Savior, you should care about all in the family of God. You should care about the widows in our church. You should care about those in your own family who are older and need your help. And we should show respect to those in our midst. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this day. We thank you for this word. Thank you for James reminding us that this is what true religion is all about. To care for those who are widows. To look out for those who have needs right in our own fellowship. So I pray that you would help us, Lord, not to overlook someone who might need our help, our encouragement. And Lord, I pray for the families here today where there are those who are struggling with health. I pray for those who are caring for their parents or grandparents. And it's very hard. Would you give them the grace to keep on keeping on, not to look ahead, but to live one day at a time, to entrust the care of the one they love into your hands. And Lord, we thank you for your mercy toward us, for the love that you've shown us, for the mercy you've shown to us. May we also be merciful to those who you've placed in our path, in our lives. For Jesus' sake, I pray. Amen.